Listening Dog Media. The Heal is Real podcast with Abby Eastwood and Debbie Mack. Hello and welcome to the Heal is Real podcast with me, Abby Eastwood and Debbie Mack. Um, this is the episode that we've been really excited about sharing. Today we have Alex, uh, who is our whistleblower. And because of that, we have changed her name and we have changed her voice. Yes, Alex used to work as a surgical patient coordinator at one of the UK's biggest cosmetic surgery providers, and she is here to give us a real insight into what goes on behind closed doors. Hi, Alex. Hi, guys. Nice to be talking to you. So, Alex, tell us exactly how you got involved with working for this company. So I have a background in sales, and I've also been interested in aesthetic procedures, cosmetic procedures, even considered having implants a few times in my life as well. Um, And I kind of changed jobs during COVID. Uh, Some friends of mine went to work for cosmetic companies uh, doing sales. And I thought, yeah, that could definitely be me. I know the industry, I'm good at sales. So it seemed like a really good fit. I know because when we've spoken to you uh, before we started recording that you did know of somebody that had breast implant illness um, before you actually took this job on. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's true. I I did. It's not something that I had known of until uh, a friend of a friend of mine, I kind of heard about what happened to her and what she was going through and that she'd had uh, her implants taken out. It did definitely make me think twice in all honesty, about going to work uh, for this particular company. Um, At the same time, you know, they did other cosmetic procedures, and I I think I was not quite on the fence about it still, but I was just kind of, I was halfway through the interview process at this point, and I thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I definitely had my doubts at that point, and it was making me kind of do a bit of research and think, yeah, I'm not really sure I would actually go down this route myself. So... When you had the interview for the job, did you bring up um, breast implant illness? No, I mean, it was not something that we talked about in terms of interview. It was literally just, it was very, you know, very stereotypical kind of business interview. Talk us through your CV. What have you done before? Do you understand how to achieve sales targets? All that kind of thing. Nothing was really talked about in terms of what they actually sold. Um, It was only when I got the job and then I started training Um, And they sent me over lots of information, obviously, and a a manual. And it did actually mention breast implant illness in the manual. So when I was doing the training, I then asked about it. And that was the first time I heard somebody really give me their opinion on what they thought about breast implant illness. Okay, right. Well, you need to tell us more now. So what exactly was the view of breast implant illness within the company? Uh, In a nutshell, um, the person who is responsible for doing all the training across the board uh, told me that it does not exist. And that anybody Mm -hmm. who thinks that it does exist is essentially crazy. Wow. Uh, And I quoted the exact words. They are, quote, crazy people. Um, I quoted what was in the manual that they provided to us because obviously the manual, the training manual gave you everything about, you know, surgical procedures, risks, possible infection, etc. And it did mention breast implant illness. There was a really small quote um, from a paper that was written by Floyd and Miranda. 
And oh, it now that will be David Floyd and Ben Miranda, who uh, David Floyd we've had already on the podcast. Uh, he was on episode two of our first series, wasn't he, Debs? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Well, they have a paper from him and Miranda quoted, uh, and it basically says, breast implant illness, there's a growing number that believe they have a condition. This consists of very broad, non-specific symptoms, hair loss, brain fog, general fatigue, skin conditions, irritable bowel syndrome, what's more. And it says, uh, even though there is no evidence linking silicon implants to these conditions, quite a few of the symptoms do appear to resolve within three months of surgery for explantation. So I said this to her, and I said, well, listen, this is in your own training manual. You know, it says it. There's a reason it says it. And what's happening to all these women that have symptoms that disappear? And she said to me, well, of course they disappear because they were all in their heads in the first place. So the moment they have to take them out, it's just that's all they get. She said to me, if you get anybody that even mentions it when they come for a consultation with you, ditch them. She said, don't even take them any further. Find a reason why you can't take them any further. Because if you put them in front of a surgeon and they talk about breast implant illness and say they have concerns, the surgeon is going to roll their eyes and find a reason not to deal with them because they've essentially decided in their heads that psychologically they are not well people because they're crazy to think it exists. Uh, this takes me back to my conversation with my surgeon uh, who said to me, the only women who have ever been back to me about breast implant illness have been the ones that uh, voiced concerns about it to start off with, which is why I didn't want to go back to him. And I know that you have mentioned as well that um, a lot of the ladies that worked at this company, they had implants themselves and obviously they felt fine with the implants so they were basing their opinion on how they were feeling yeah absolutely i i don't think i met anybody who didn't have implants to be honest at the company and that was actually a really big plus as far as the company was concerned in terms of employing because they wanted to have people that could say to nervous patients oh no it's it's great look look at mine they're fantastic i you know they're absolutely brilliant look how great they look best thing i ever did and you know, obviously that made them feel a bit more comfortable. And like you say, for them individually, they were obviously happy with what they had done. Um, but I think they also had bought into a lot of the stuff that, you know, they were told by management in the company in terms of the fact that breast implant illness doesn't exist. Anybody who raises concerns is crazy and just keep pushing how safe this is and get as many people booked in as you can. So you said that the training lady um, said that if you put the patients in front of the surgeons, that they would just roll their eyes. Did you get to meet the surgeons? Did you get the feeling that actually all the surgeons were would have done that? Or is that just something that she presumed and just told you? Or do you think actually if they had gone in front of these surgeons that they would have actually have done exactly what she said? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. To, to start with, initially, I would be in with I'm, every single surgeon. So you go in with the surgeons, you're in there with the consultation, you know, you're, you're, you're hands-on doing everything in that initial consultation, during examinations, any questions that the patients have. The woman who told me that the breast implant illness doesn't exist, she knew all the surgeons in, extremely well. She'd been there at the company for probably 20 years. Um, and all the surgeons I met, 100%, they glossed over risks, concerns 
they would literally run through the concerns. Like, you know, when you see those adverts on the TV and they kind of, you know, adver- advertise something great and at the very end of it, very quickly, it says, you know, and they don't know what the actual risk They swept over the risks. They would push a certain type of implant, even though it has a higher cancer risk to it because it looks better and it means less people coming back for them. Um, and, and the 100%, you know, when I, I did ask one of the surgeons in between patients about concerns, about things like breast, amp- breast implant illness, um, and he just shook his head, just just shook his head as if to say, no, no, that's not, it's not a thing. We don't discuss that. That's not something we're concerned about. One thing that just blows my mind is the whole fact that they make out it's a social media craze and everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. What a shit bandwagon to jump onto. You've paid like seven grand to have these things put into you and then you want to pretend that you've got things wrong with you so you can jump onto a bandwagon. That does not make sense. No, exactly. It it doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you do that? And particularly when every single person that came in and I sat through hundreds of consultations with women and every single one of them that came in had reasons that they wanted to get it done it wasn't a whim you know there were some people that were in there that were like you know maybe they'd had a mastectomy there were women that wanted reconstructive surgery there were women that had had children and completely lost their confidence women you know in all kinds of cases they all really really wanted them and like you said it's not like it's cheap to do it was a big decision for all of them Mm. Well, I had a little look on their website, uh, Alex, and going back to what you said before about how they glossed over the uh, the risks and, you know, the, the questions. Under their quality and transparency, which is all over their website, it says, from your initial consultation, you are supplied with endless information to help you make an informed decision regarding having cosmetic surgery. You will also receive a procedure guide specific to your chosen procedure, which gives you the risks and benefits of this procedure, all of which your PC and surgeon will go into in great details as they have a wealth of experience and are happy to answer any questions you may have. How true is that? Um, I would say that's absolutely not true at all. I mean, it's just lies. Most of that is lies. The surgeons would answer some questions, no doubt about it, but they do not give them all of that information. They don't fully explain all the risks to them. And whilst they will give them very basic information that you could find just by Googling in terms of risks and benefits Mm. of breast implants, you are supposed to push the positives and gloss over the negatives. We were told that if anybody had any concerns, the one thing we should really focus on is the brand because the brand that actually made the implants that this particular company were pushing, the overall parent brand of that was which of course people associate with like baby stuff and they always said to us, push it, push that so much, particularly if a woman has children, she'll probably have used something if she's had a baby. So push that brand because people will think, oh, it's for kids, you know, it's bubble bath, it must be safe. Oh, these are the same company that make them. So we always got told to push that as like a baby thing. Um, but, you know, giving them all the 100% information, I think that's just, it's just not true. It's not true at all. It's not what they do. The other thing that I had a look at uh, was obviously the surgeons when I had a look on online 
And it all says that they are part of the General Medical Council and that they've all got, um, that, that they've all been basically approved by them. But the wording obviously makes it sound like it is incredibly important. And obviously it is because they will have gone through certain uh, procedures to obviously to get um, the stamp of approval from, from the GMC. However, there is no legality for anybody that is part of the GMC um, to actually express the risks and concerns uh, of, um, let's say, breast implant illness. Um, they have to do it. It comes under um, something that is called the good medical practice. You're meant to, it's meant to come under th those brackets. But actually, the way they've worded it on their website is to say that, you know, they've got they've got this GMC number, they've got this stamp of approval, so they're, they're all good. But actually, they're all foreign doctors bar one. And they all live in different countries and fly over here. They're not a couple of them are part of BAPS and BAPRAs, which are the associations. But again, there's no legality there that says and states that they have to inform anybody of any risks. So there are so many loopholes in that respect that that they can that they can get past, aren't there? That they can just basically do what they want and say what they want to basically sell the product. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. We would sit in the clinic. And the clinic would have started, patients would be there for the consultations, and the surgeon would come running through the door, just come from a flight from wherever, and they would come in, they would do an hour, two hour, three hour consultations, they would get through, they would want it rammed, as many patients as possible they could get through in two hours, they would race through every single consultation, bare minimum information, okay, quick, let's examine you, okay, fine, what cup size do you want to be, okay, great, no problem, we'll book you in, that's it. And they would get through as many as they could and then leave again. And they'd, you know, they'd be flying back to where they live or whatever else. And it was just rushed all the time. It was just like, ram as many people as you possibly can into there. And the most information that they got, the patients, was not actually from the surgeon. The surgical consultations would be really quick. And then they would drag them out of the surgical consultation while we shoved somebody else in. And they'd throw them in to the patient coordinators. Now, the patient coordinator also really being honest, does not have your best interests at heart. The patient coordinator is just trying to get a deposit from you. So you'll come out <laughs> and they'll go, how, how was it? Did you have a wonderful time with the surgeon? Oh, and she, like, he's got, he really doesn't have many slots left at all. Why don't you book it? You know, we can do you a discount today that will save you £100 if you put the deposit. My God. And that's, that's, what, that's what we were trained to do. We had to get as many deposits as we could in that particular block. And whoever did got an incentive at the end of the week and got a bonus for filling as many slots as possible. Oh. When I was 18, I used to uh, sell double glazing telesales and it sounds very similar, really. Um, yeah. So, so no real cares going into it. And obviously with the company that you were working for, they didn't just do boobs, they did all sorts of other things. How did these ladies know that they were getting the best surgeon for the job that they wanted doing? Um, <laughs> the answer to that is that they did not. And a lot of them were literally swayed by the fact that they could put a small deposit down. We were super flexible in terms of payment. We were encouraged to say to them, oh, okay, so so here's the money that it will be. Let's say it's 6,000. Do you have any? Can you? How much can you put down? And they would say, oh, you know, I, I only have this amount of money. And we would be told to, to think of ideas for them to get money. So we would say to them, 
oh, is there a friend or family you could borrow it from? Why don't you go online and go to the comparison? Oh my God. And have <laughs> and see what the best deal you can get is. We were actually told, and this is straight from the horse's mouth. I was told that when you're looking around the room of patients sitting there, okay, before they come into you as the patient coordinator, here's what you need to bear in mind. The women, and this was from the head trainer, the women that are sitting there with a nice handbag and look quite smart, you're going to have to work a lot harder for them to part with their money. The best ones that you can get in when you see them on your initial consultation over the phone or, you know, over the Zoom or whatever, the best ones to get in front of the surgeon are, quote, the rough ones. Because the rough <gasps> Oh my goodness. That they will, and this is another exact quote, go back to drug dealer Dave, borrow the money any which way they can to make sure they get what they want. And this is not regulated. And this is why we're trying to get this sorted out. There needs to be a legal requirement to, to tell women of the risks, to give them that informed consent, because actually what they're walking into is what, a meatpacking bloody factory? It's just like in, out, in, well, out. It really is, and exactly, Debbie, what you said before about how do they know they have the best surgeon for the job. So they don't, and they won't get the best surgeon for the job unless it is pure pot luck. Because the way that the system would work, you were told, okay, let's just say we have three surgeons, surgeon A, surgeon B, and surgeon C. So you'd have a patient call in, they would want somebody who was really, really skilled in um, an uplift and implants. Now, you would know that Surgeon A was the one who was really skilled in that, but I wasn't allowed to give them an appointment with Surgeon A because I had to go into the diary and whoever had the first available appointment, appointment maybe it's Surgeon C, who's actually not very good at uplifts, I had to put them with them because you weren't allowed to pick and choose diary slots because they didn't want empty slots in a diary. They wanted everything full. So I would basically have to lie and say, oh, okay, so you want somebody who's really skilled with uplifts as well? Oh, wow, this is so lucky. Guess what? In the clinic in your area, Surgeon B is there and has a slot available for you on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. That's so lucky because he's the exact one that I was going to put you with because he's got such skill in uplifts. And it's just not true. I suppose if you've got your surgeons flying in from abroad, then you need to make it worth their while by filling up their books while they're here. That is mind-blowing, isn't it? And that's exactly it. Otherwise, the surgeons, if they didn't have enough slots filled, they would get annoyed. They would come out. Not only would they get annoyed with the company, they'd come out and they'd get annoyed with you as well and say, why are these gaps in the diary? Why are there not people here? Why aren't there patients? You know, what, what am I here for? I've got two hours of my time. Where is everybody? So you, you basically just had to put people with any surgeon as quickly as you possibly could, even though you knew that essentially that wasn't the right surgeon for them. But you didn't have a choice in how the system worked. I'm currently speechless. I'm not going to lie. I am sat here thinking, what will be my next question? But I am so gobsmacked by what you have just told me. I mean, I knew it was bad. I knew it was bad. But I don't think I knew the depth of how bad it was. And especially when I've looked online and under the Care Quality Commission, they have been basically, which is an independent regula regulatory body in the, in the, in England, they passed. They got like outstanding. I mean, how can you get outstanding when you are actually providing 
that service. And this is where it's so wrong in this country and how women are just being basically used and abused by people who can get away with this type of, well, what is it? Shitsville. I mean, I can't even think of the right word at the moment. I am honestly in absolute shock and all those poor women. So what happens then if those women then come back and say, I I don't think this surgery has gone very well and I'm not feeling very well? Do they get aftercare? They do, yes. I mean, they, you know, it's written into the um, the information that they give them, their terms and conditions and everything else, that obviously if they're not well, if something happens, that they can't come back to them. Um, but, you know, they, they have to be able to say that. Um, it's not even necessarily, though, the same surgeon that actually did the procedure because... Who knows, that particular surgeon could have ended up retiring to his home country in a year's time and you wouldn't be able to see him again. Um, I, they do keep their notes. Obviously, they have to keep the patient's notes and things. But I was in a clinic once when a woman came back um, and she was very unhappy. It was kind of aesthetically. She had a lot of bad scarring and issues and problems. And they were really unhappy at her being there in the clinic because obviously they didn't want her to say anything to anybody else and they just try and kind <laughs> of push them through the back door as quickly and quietly as they can and then get them back out again it, it's all about look it's all about how it looks and you said there about the the cqc we actually mm-hmm. had that i was there with meetings where a representative from the cqc would come in and obviously what they do is they go around and they highlight various things in the building or in the consultations or whatever. And they ha- they tell them what they're doing wrong to give them a chance to correct it. And they can do the things that they need to do quite quickly and easily. So it's not, personally speaking, I don't think that it's that difficult to be able to get that regulation to say what they're doing is fine. I mean, it's just even little things like the fact that we're supposed to have the um, bras for the patients to try on. You know, you put the stretchy bra on, they've got the implant sizes in it and all this. It's supposed to be a clean environment. You're supposed to have a brand new bra per patient and, you know, wipe down the table and the everything for them to be on. The bras were never even washed. They were used on like 10 oh. different people. Oh my goodness. You know, it was like basic hygiene was just appalling. The bins were not mm. emptied and they had surgical waste because women would come back maybe to have stitches taken out, there'd be examinations for the different kinds of surgical procedures and the gloves and the bedding and everything was just, none of it was even emptied and the bras were just left sitting in a sweaty mess and then just put back in the cupboard for the next person to try on. And they said, oh, no one remembered to take them home and wash them. So we'll just pretend they're clean. It's fine. Wow. And this is not a small company we're talking about here. Can we just say the, the, this is this is a this is a big company that we're we're not going to say the name of for legal reasons, but a big company. And it's a shame that you didn't have any experience of ladies coming back saying that they had BII symptoms because I would love to have known how they dealt with that because I would imagine it would be the same as the PA of my surgeon um, who just said, "Oh, it's menopause, sweetie. That's what it'll be. You're, you're of that age," and would dismiss it um, like that, I would imagine. If they didn't believe in BII, they're not going to say, oh, it, it could be breast implant illness, are they? No, no, not, not at all, not at all. You know, most people, because of course, when they see the patient, it's six weeks post-op. So at that point, six weeks, nobody really has any, I mean, you know, you know yourselves, and nobody really has 
anything to talk about except, oh, okay, you know, I've had this major surgery, here's my stitches, you know, my scarring is hearing, healing quite well, you know, maybe I don't feel great, but I'm just, you know, recovering from surgery. So they would see them at mm. this week post-op checkup. And at that point, you don't really have any concept of what this is going to be like long-term to have them in your body. So they would sign them off at six weeks. Yeah, no problem. Okay, bye. And then send them away. Wow. I mean, we know that um, there was an, another big company and they they were of, of, of similar ilk to this company in the sense of where women were, came in, in, many of them came in and out over a period of a week and had their implants put in. But there were women that I knew from the Facebook group that had used that when they went back to try and get their notes to find out exactly what implants they had, I mean, this was obviously quite a few years ago, or to get their notes, they couldn't get anything and nobody would help them. It was as if they were basically talking to a brick wall. So I can only imagine that in the future, this potentially could be the same. I mean, obviously there is a blessed, uh, a blessed, a breast implant register now that you are meant to register all the breast implants on. Do you know if this company did that? Yes, they do. And they are ordered uh, through that exact system when they do order the implants. And they claim to keep the patient's records. I think it is six years that they keep them for. But again, I you yeah. know, wasn't there long enough to kind of see whether that definitely does happen, um, whether that is 100% followed through. I'm not too sure. But I mean, just from my personal experience, I, you know, I, I was always open to having breast implants myself. And particularly as I've got older, I thought I would combine it with a lift as well because I had a, you know, I had a, a child when I was a bit older. So I thought oh, I have a lift too. Um, I can honestly say my experience of working there and now knowing what I know, seeing how the system works, but also you know, understanding breast implant illness a lot more. Women that I've talked to, yourselves, everything else. There is absolutely no way on earth that I would ever ever put implants into my body i just i can understand that you know cosmetically there's things that women want to do i can understand women having a, a lift for example but putting that foreign object into your body my experience of there has made it like i was probably 50 percent sure i wouldn't do it now i'm like 110 percent sure i would not ever do it <laughs> They were actually talking on the radio this morning about the fact that apparently, it's very disturbing, we consume a credit card's worth of plastic every week. And uh, obviously there's a lot of talk at the moment about how you shouldn't store your food in plastic containers. But yet we're still putting plastic into our bodies in order to enhance our figures to get bigger boobs. This is why I think in the future it will stop. Surely it will stop. It's, it is crazy. And, you know, there was a girl, I always remember this. This was kind of my turning point um, after I saw this particular patient. This is pretty much random by noticing. Um, a lovely, lovely lady. She was, she was only young. She was probably 29, 30 she came in for a consultation. I have no idea why she was there for a consultation because she was, you know, kind of a yoga instructor type, you know, fitness, personal trainer type of thing. Absolutely beautiful, amazing figure. And it was so blindingly obvious that she had had a knock in her confidence. She literally said to the surgeon, oh, I was really happy with my figure until about three months ago. And then something happened and my, you know, my confidence has really been crushed. And I think I need an uplift. Now, reading between the lines, it was clear that somebody had given her a bit of a, a confidence knock and now she was, you know, feeling self-conscious about herself. She said 100% she did not want to have implants. 
So he examined her and I'm there, I'm present. And I'm not saying that I'm a surgeon, but I do have eyes and I can see that her figure is amazing. She was probably a full C to a D cup. And I thought she was fantastic. I mean, you know, I did not understand why she would even want to have an uplift. I saw women that I could understand why they did want one, but not this girl. He told her, no, I can't just do an uplift for you. You need to put implants in. It will look better. It will feel better. The overall aesthetic will be better. It's going to look terrible if you just have lift. You really must put the implants in. And she said to him, well, I really, I'm quite holistic. I don't believe in that kind of thing. I had a, I think it was like a pin or a screw put in her ankle when she broke it. She said, I feel like my body reacted badly to that, to that foreign object. So I'm really concerned about putting something in me. And he sat there for 10 minutes talking her around, convincing her that if she didn't have an implant with the uplift, it was an absolute waste of time. And she left. And before she was due to go in with the patient coordinator, I thought, I just, I can't, I can't stand there anymore. And I scribbled on a piece of a post-it note. I wrote, B-I-I, please Google. And I literally went over to her. I put it in her pocket. I looked at her. I grabbed her arm and I said, read that. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Go Google it. Do not put implants in. And she she kind of looked a bit shocked. She said, oh, okay, okay. And that was it. She left. And she went, and I thought, well, at least if I've saved one person, then, you know, that's a good thing. That's amazing. Well done you for doing that. You you are a wonderful woman. And the chances are, if her body did react to something already, she was absolutely right. She she shouldn't have put that in. We have experience of talking to ladies that have had other foreign objects, whether they be coils or pins or whatever, and then they have re- reacted to implants. So she was right. She, she knew more than him. Yeah, that's it. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not, you know, years ago, I, I had a rhinoplasty, you know, because I was I didn't like my nose. And I've also had things done, you know, I've tried Botox, I've tried fillers, that kind of thing. Uh, for me, I found that every time I've had a filler put in, it is it is basically reacted with my body swelled up. I've needed to go on steroids and I've had to have it dissolved. So for me, then when I learned about breast implant illness, I was thinking, are you kidding? I can't even have filler put in my face without it going wrong. Yeah. that I'm going to have these two bags of silicon put in my chest because I know that they would go wrong. It makes total sense. And I just want to say as well that, you know, a good surgeon would have heard that. For example, I'm going to say it, David Floyd and Jed and and David Rankin, you know, they would have turned around to that woman and gone, well, look, if you've reacted to a pin in your foot, uh, you know, from what we are hearing with the systemic reaction to breast implants, I'm pretty sure you're going to react to breast implants. They also would never have turned around to her either and said, let's put some you know, bags of silicon in you, they would have been, look, you know, I can't really see what the problem is, but if you really want an uplift, I'm more than happy to do it because that's what a good surgeon does. They sit and listen. Yet this company is, just has no morals, no values. No, the the whole thing is exactly like you said. It's it's like a, a meatpacking factory. It's horrible. You are trained from day one. You must push the safety aspect in case anyone's concerned. You must try and empathize with them. You must try and find something that you have in common ground so they feel like that they trust you. You know, if they have any objections, here's how to overcome them. If they're short on finance, here's where to push them on the internet to get some random loan from somewhere. You know, you must push them and get that 
in that day. And if you get enough deposits in the week, we'll give you a bonus, whatever their objections. Wow. And the surgeons are the same. You sit in the consultations, they gloss over the safety concerns. They, they barely even mention the higher cancer risk for the implants that they're particularly pushing because, again, they just Jesus. want to push that, get the money for those implants. Nobody is interested in the patient care. And there is supposed to be, psychologically, you are supposed to make sure, and, and this is somewhere in the kind of, you know, the patient care thing, that you have to be psychologically well enough to know what you're doing and make sure that you're doing an informed decision of having surgery. And there were so many women that came in that it was blindingly obvious to me as a layman that psychologically they were not in a good position. You know, they'd just come off some antidepressants or they'd had a bad breakup with a boyfriend or, you know, and they were doing this on a whim. And it was obvious to me, but none of the surgeons ever said to them, you should go away and think about this or are you sure this is what you want? They just said, yeah, whatever. How big do you want to go? The other thing that really bothers me is the fact that they keep the notes for six years because we know we've spoken to probably close to 100 ladies now on the pod and on our Instagram page that a lot of the time the symptoms don't start until after six years and mm. th these are still being sold to some ladies as lifetime devices, which obviously we know they're not. But if, if that's the case, why would you only keep them for six years? That's crazy. That's a really good point because what you say about the whole lifetime devices thing, so many women came in and said, so when would I have to have these redone? Because I understand that obviously, you know, you have to change your implants. And the surgeons, every single surgeon said to them, no, nope, you don't. You can keep them in forever. As long as <gasps> problems, they can stay in you forever. You only take them out if you want to go bigger or, or if they've ruptured. Other than that, no, you can keep them in forever. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, my surgeon pretty much said the same to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is if anyone listening to this pod at the moment and has decided they wanted breast implants and are looking into maybe why they shouldn't. If you get any surgeon that says they have a slot within the next two weeks, run, because that is not a surgeon that is looking after your best interest. They shouldn't have a slot in the next two weeks because they should be busy because they're a good surgeon. End of. Exactly. And remember, the only reason they have that slot in two weeks is because we have pushed you into whatever surgeon has that gap. You've asked me for somebody who has expertise in an uplift, and I have basically had to lie to you and say, oh, yes, surgeon A has this expertise. He doesn't at all. I have just had to push you into the first available slot so that the surgeons make their money and they are happy with the company. It's literally how it works. <laughs> And can I ask you about the reviews? At what point are the ladies approached for their online reviews? Um, as soon as they come in for the six-week uh, checkup. Mm -hmm. we, Thought so. Yeah, of course. We had to ask them as soon as they come in for their six weeks, they're all excited. Boobs are still, you know, fluffed up and everything. And they're kind of, oh, wow, wow, look, look. And they're still in that stage. And that's when we say to them, oh, here's our link to website, Google, whatever, all these things, can you please leave us a review at this point? If you want to do it now, here's the link to it. You can do it right now. That's when they do it, is at the six weeks, obviously. And then after that, I, what you guys don't see is what I would see on the phone systems. You know, they have like a text system coming through and stuff. The amount of texts and voicemails and messages that would be left from women going, hello, I've been trying to get in touch with you. I've paid this and I've done that. Why isn't it? Because as soon as we took their money, we washed our hands of them. That was no interest. 
Oh, yeah. wow. No intro. So there is no aftercare in that respect. So after the six weeks and they've written their review and they've had their stitches out, you're on your own. Yeah, you, exactly. You are by yourself. And after this whole thing, experiencing all of that, I got to the stage where I would sit in, the women would come in to me and they'd say, okay, so I've had my consultation. And, and honestly, quite a lot of them would come in with concerns and say, yeah, I kind of felt like that was a bit rushed or... I've had consultation with somebody else, but this guy's saying that I can do this. I can also put implants. I can go bigger. I can do X, Y, and Z. And I got to the point where I said, you know what? I think you're right. You don't seem 100% convinced about this. If you want my advice, I think you should have a think about this. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Go and have a consultation somewhere else, maybe, because this is a really big decision for you. And I started saying that. And so, obviously, I never made any sales. No, but the thing is, you're so right. We're women and we are emotional beings. So if you are, if you are hormonal and you look in the mirror and think, oh my God, I hate that. And then you've, you've booked an appointment at this company or with a different surgeon and they've said, right, brilliant, we'll book you in in two weeks. You've got no chance to change your mind when you come out of that hormonal stage, really. You, you, you're committed. You've given the deposit. You're good to go. And that's the thing. They get the deposit there and then. The moment you do it, they push, push, push. Anything you can do to get that deposit from them there and then, as soon as they've had their consultation, you will do. Whatever tactics, whatever lies you have to tell, whatever supposed financial incentive you give them, oh, suddenly we've got £100 off today. You don't. Obviously, you just, you know, you just told them originally it was £100 over the price that it should have been. So, you do whatever you can to get that money. And then they're tied into it. They've committed to the 750, so they don't go back on it and they end up going through with it in two weeks' time. Is it a non-refundable deposit as well? So the deposit is 750. So you have to come up with 750 pounds for your initial deposit. That deposit, they hold it for a period of uh, 14 days because they have to. And that's across the board for all cosmetic surgery companies, doctors, everything. They have to. 14 days, they hold on to it. And if in those 14 days you change your mind, they have to give you that deposit back in 14 days. But we never highlight that. We don't tell them that. And if the 14 days go mm-hmm. by, obviously, we just keep the deposit. So you never mention the cooling off period. You just tell them. I've got the 750 now. Let's get you booked in there and then to the hospital slot. We'll send you all the information tomorrow. Thank you very much. And we've forgotten about them. The minute they walk out the door, we've got their deposit. That's all they want is the deposits. So is this company cheaper than maybe a surgeon on Harley Street or uh, you know uh, another private British surgeon that's maybe a little bit more reputable? Are they cheaper? And that's why most people go there because they think they're getting a good deal. It's affordable. Yeah, exactly. 100%. It's affordable. And there's lots of sales tactics that you can do. For example, if you did an uplift and an implant separately, it would be a combined price of, let's just say, 15000 for argument's sake. If we put them together, we will do it for 8000 all in. So we would always be coming up with deals, incentives, money off, um, you know, New Year's offers, mm. Christmas offers, their offers, like whatever we wow. can do. And they are substantially cheaper because, of course, the surgeons are coming in from abroad. All they have to do is book a slot of hospital time for them to go and do the surgery. So they pay the hospital for that particular block of time. 
and they squeeze in as many as they can in one day. So the surgeon will have a diary from nine o'clock until three o'clock and he'll be doing, you know, an implant every hour and a half from nine o'clock until three o'clock that day. That's crazy. Do you know, I'm the voiceover for a shop um, and I voice their sales stuff and everything that you're saying just sounds like one of my scripts. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's crazy. Yeah. But you, you don't know what you're getting, do you? You could go to a company like this or you could go to a private surgeon who's going to roll his or her eyes and be completely dismissive about BII. Unless you are going to a surgeon that is going to be like some of the surgeons that we've had on this pod and be open yeah. to the idea of BII and the fact that and admit to the fact that there are ladies that suffer from it. You, but, but how are you going to know that as a lady who's just Googling online and seeing these fantastic reviews? views from ladies that have just had them out there is no way of knowing no well exactly it, it is potluck like you said how are you going to know how are you going to react until you do it i think for me the best thing i could do there were some patients that came in that it was so obvious it wouldn't have mattered what i said to them they still would have gone ahead and taken them and had the implants mm -hmm. cheap they wanted to post on their Instagram. They wanted to look amazing. And I could have, I could have said anything and it would not have stopped them from doing it. But every patient that I did see that raised a bit of a concern, that didn't seem too sure about it, that was questioning it, every single one of those, I did my absolute best to try and say to them, don't do this then. Please do not do this. Go home and do some more research. Go home and consider this. You know, think about it a bit more. And like with the girl who'd had a bad reaction to the, the screw in her ankle, I, I, I blatantly just said, breast implant illness, don't do it. It's going to happen to you. Mm. And I think you have to weigh the odds. You know, I'm not here to say that people can't make their choices, do whatever they want to do surgically. Of course, they, they can and they will. But I think that, you know, the way big companies like the one that I worked for, it's just it's not honest. It's not truthful. They're not looking after you well. They're not giving you the full facts. We're just, you're just money to us. We're just pushing for a sale and you're not getting the full information. Get the information. Think very carefully. Choose the right surgeon. Go somewhere reputable. And, and like you guys are saying, you know, acknowledge breast implant illness. If you still decide to go ahead, that's absolutely your choice to do so. But we never gave women that choice. We, we just literally were told by the head trainer women who think that are quote crazy doesn't exist push through as many as you possibly can in a week when they left though did they ever get any booklet or information that did have something in there about the risks for example bia alcl which is the cancer or breast implant illness no no they were not given that they had basically had access to a, a kind of like an online portal system where they could go they could look at the basics of kind of aftercare things you should look out for if you have any you know from from the uh, from the incisions if you have any problems etc that kind of thing but anything more than that there was no information given to the patients about those things because wow. as far as the cleaning was concerned and the surgeon was concerned that's not something that they need to even worry about and as i said that the implant that does have a higher risk of cancer again legally they had to say that in the consultation but you couldn't even hear it clearly like the surgeon would mutter it under his breath not even highlight it and you know again it's like well this is a higher risk of cancer but you're pushing this implant because it's less likely the woman will come back for any revision surgery because this implant is a, is a more textured one you know and that 
itself is just, it's terrible. If, if this would mean mm. that we're having this done all the time, this industry wouldn't exist anymore. Let's be honest. I completely agree. Me too. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. I think that this will probably be one of our most listened to episodes. I think we can say that without even, before even putting it out. Um, yeah. The, the insight that you've given us into the industry has been, well, second to none. It's been phenomenal, brilliant. So thank you so much. I'm not surprised you haven't got a job there anymore. I know that you did hand in your notice and you left, but if you hadn't have done that, I have a feeling you wouldn't have been there much long any much longer anyway. <laughs> no, no. Uh, listen, thank you for having me on. And I, do you know what? I, I feel like, you know, there's a purpose in everything. And I think maybe my experience there, maybe the purpose of that was to, you know, to meet you guys and to come on here and to tell people that, you know, again, this isn't a kind of a, a Mickey Mouse company. This is a big, huge uh, industry in the UK. This is an enormous company that has a great reputation, etc. And I just, you know, to be able to kind of tell you what goes on behind the scenes, I think is so important because women yeah. need to be properly informed. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. Honestly, I think, you know, you will have definitely have saved and helped so many women with this episode. And yeah, we can't thank you enough. Very welcome. It was a pleasure. <laughs>